Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. I have a little HHR. It's a Chevy. It's a, it's a nice little car. My brother gave it to me. And uh, one day, and this is kind of embarrassing, but uh, it's, it's really a kind of a base model manual transmission. I'm surprised that it doesn't have one of these. Um, but uh, I, I, have, I had the HHR and I left the headlights on. And you know now most modern cars, if you leave the headlights on, there's a timer on it and it automatically shuts off to save your battery. Well, my little car didn't have one of those. So I left the headlights on all night. And when I went to go back to it, probably a couple of days later, the battery was dead. I've had dead batteries before. I knew exactly what to do. So I got uh, uh, the, the other car, and I pulled up right next to it, popped the hood on the HHR. And this is a picture of what the hood looks like under the hood. And it's probably like half that size. I mean, it's a really small car. And so I'm looking at it, and I saw the little red plastic part. You see it right there next to that square box? So that little red plastic part, I pull it off, and underneath it, there's a battery terminal. So I figure, okay, that's red, so that's positive. So now I need to look on the other side. That will be the negative. I can hook up my, my cables to this car and charge it. Well, the other side is a hard plastic cover that I had to pop and pry and release, and a little piece of plastic broke off. But eventually, I got it off, and there was just a screw that was coming out of the side of the box. So I said, okay. I hooked up my jumper cables, hooked it up to the car, to the other car, and uh, turned it on, and nothing happened. No power going to the car, to the HHR. There's nothing. I was thinking, how is this possible? I- I'm doing everything right. And so I figure the, ca- the other car is- doesn't have enough juice. So I push, pull that car aside, and I take out the truck. And the truck is big, and it- the battery is like, you know, it's like this big, right? It's huge. And I figure this is going to do it. So I pull the truck up. I, I, I clamp the red to the red, the black to the black. I've got my, I had them inside the truck and they had the accelerator down and they were revving the engine. The alternator was going. I get into the HHR. Still, there's no power. I'm clicking, I'm clicking, I'm clicking. Nothing happens. And I figure, okay, battery is dead. This car is dead. What do I expect? It was free. So I said, all right, I'm done with it. Left it there for a few days. Then I decided, well, I got to get this thing running. So I'm going to go just replace the battery. So I go and I start to pop off that plastic cover, figuring that there was going to be a tiny little tiny car battery in there. And when I pop off the plastic cover, what I see is a fuse box. Not a battery. And apparently I had been hooking up these cars with all of their power to the fuse box of this little tiny HHR and been putting all that juice through it, that is why there was nothing going on because that wasn't the battery. So I said, all right, something's going on here. And I did what men rarely, rarely do. I looked at the instructions. So I went to the glove box and I took this out. 2008 HHR, you go right inside and it says owner's manual. 
right in there. And I read through it. Look, this is really great. But apparently everything is in here. Everything you need to know about the car. So I looked at battery. The battery is in the trunk of the car. It's in the back. It's by the spare tire. That's not the battery. But that's what I had been running all of the juice through. So needless to say, when I finally figured out where the battery was and how to jumpstart the car, car started working again. Of course, now the automatic tire sensor doesn't work. The remote control doesn't work. The power steering doesn't work because I blew them all out (laughs) when I ran all that juice through the fuse box. This is typical of men. Isn't it men? We are notorious for this. We are notorious for not wanting to read the instructions. We are notorious for not wanting to get directions. We are notorious for trying to figure things out on our own. And that is why we are starting this series today. That's why I put this together, because we need to have a conversation. Men. And that's what this series is about. That's what these next four weeks are about. It's about you. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, there's some of us in here who are not men. And I get that. You're not men. But I believe that you will benefit from a series about men. And the reason is this. There's um, about 4% of women who today will tell you that they never expect, nor do they ever plan to have any kind of relationship with a man. Okay, but that means 96% of you do plan to have one. And at some point, women, ladies, at some point in your life, you're either going to date one, you're going to marry one, you're going to give birth to one and try to raise him into being a good one. And even if that's not you, even if that's not any part of your plan, it's more than likely that on Monday morning, you're going to walk into a room at your work or at school, and there's going to be men there. Hopefully. And wouldn't it be great if when you did walk in there on Monday morning, that the men that you ran into all had their... I can't say that word. Act. They all had their act together. I mean, wouldn't that be great? But listen, there's also 96% of men, 96% of men who at some point in their life, they're going to be looking at a woman or they're going to be looking at children. They're going to be looking at their families and they're going to be looking at people who are betting their lives on them. They're risking everything that this man is going to be a good man and that he has his act together. And unfortunately, I'll figure it out doesn't work. I'll figure it out has led to 50% of our marriages ending within the first eight years. It has led to one in three children being raised in a home without their biological father. Figuring it out, or I'll figure it out, doesn't work. Jim Bergen, who's a pastor out in Colorado, and a lot of what we're going to be talking about over these next four weeks has come from him. He said this. He said, The most loving helpful thing I can do ever for men and for women and for children and the world, the best thing I can do is to train up good men who actually know how to be and are working on a good strategy 
to become good men and to become good and better fathers and husbands and friends and colleagues. You see, we can't look at what society and what culture tells us about what it means to be a man. Because too often, culture tells us things that are based on popular opinion, or they're based on political correctness, or they're based on whatever the latest trend, the latest YouTube video happens to be. Dallas Willard, who's a, who was a theologian, um, a very well-respected theologian, he wrote it he wrote this about truth. He said, you've probably had some experience with right answers, which turned out to be false. And I've learned this recently because I've been teaching recently. And one of the things I know is, is that when I give somebody a test, whatever the right answer is, is whatever I say the right answer is. Because I'm the one who grades the test. Sometimes I'm the one who writes the test. So I know what's right because I'm the one who gets to say it. And what, what Dallas Willard is saying here is that that sometimes the right answers turn out to be false. He says, and we can think of reality as what you run into when you are wrong. What we run into when what we're saying is true hits reality and what we're saying is true actually isn't true. He goes on to say the truth is the same everywhere. Everywhere it shows up. It's not always directly verifiable, but truth is always that matching up of an idea to reality. See, no matter what it is that we think, once our truth comes to reality, one of two things are going to happen. Either it's going to match up and it's going to be right, or it's not, and everything's going to come crashing down around us. And that's why it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what our feelings are, because even if we feel like something is true, and we've all done this, right? There's always, there's, we've all had that experience where there's something that we, we kind of feel like it has to be true, or at least it should be true, but it's not. And when we feel like something is true and it's not, and it hits up against reality, then everything falls apart. Because truth always stands up to reality. So what we're going to talk about is what is really true about men? What is really true about us? And what really needs to happen for us to be a good man. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that we do the same thing that Jesus did when people would ask him important questions about life. People would come up to him and they would ask him things. And, and so if Jesus was here and we were to say to him, we were to say, listen, Jesus, look, what is the best way for a man or a couple or a family? What is the best way for them to experience a great life? Church people would say to experience a blessed life. The way Jesus wrote it is he would say an abundant life. What's the best way for that to happen? And Jesus would answer the same way that he always does. He would take it all the way back to the beginning and he would say, listen, if you want to find out what's the best way, if you want to find out how to do anything that's important in life, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to go to what my father said. You have to go back to the owner's manual. Well, not this one. But the one that was written and designed and created just for you. Because the person who wrote this owner's manual 
is the one who created and designed you and me. And so he knows everything about us. He knows how we are supposed to work. He knows what is supposed to happen. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a letter that a, a guy named Paul wrote many, many years ago. Now, if you grew up in church, you probably know Paul. He's, we, we call him the Apostle Paul. Uh, some people refer to him as St. Paul. But Paul was a guy who was... Who was uh, He started out as a person who was really angry at Jesus followers, and then he became one of the most prominent Jesus followers. He wrote so much of what we call the New Testament today. And Paul is towards the end of his life, and he's approaching retirement. Uh, You know, he's getting the uh, AARP magazines in his mail, so he knows that he's like bumping right up on, on not working anymore. And he has an intern named Timothy who's working for him. And Timothy is going to be the one that Paul is going to pass everything on to. Timothy is the one who's going to take the responsibility that Paul has, and he's going to be the one to take it after Paul is gone. And so Paul writes a letter to Timothy, and this is what he says. He says, listen, Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful. All Scripture. So he's talking about this. He's talking about Scripture. He's talking about the Bible. He says, listen, all of that, is useful. It's inspired by God because he's the one who wrote it. Now, we might say, well, what gives God the right to write the owner's manual? Well, he's the one who created us. He's the one who manufactured us. He's the one who invented us. So he knows better than anyone else how we're supposed to work. So he says, okay, there's an operator's manual and it's useful, but for what? And this is what I love because Timothy is living 2,000 years ago and he's writing an owner's manual and the, or he's talking about an owner's manual or Paul's writing to him about the owner's manual and the owner's manual that they're talking about, this, does the exact same thing that the owner's manuals that we have today, like the owner's manual for my car, does. Look at what he says. He says, it's useful to teach us what is true. See, he's saying, listen, this manual is helpful because it tells you how everything works. It tells you, this manual tells me what every little light on the dashboard means. It tells me how to put gas in in the tank because apparently there are some people who still don't know how to do that. It tells me how to fasten the seatbelts. It tells me how to turn on the air conditioning. It tells me everything that I need to know to know how my car works. And what Paul is writing to Timothy is he's saying, listen, this is the same thing. It's good for teaching us what is true. It's good for teaching us how everything is supposed to be, how everything is supposed to work, the best way to do things. And then he goes on and he says this, and it says, it corrects us when we are wrong. He's saying, listen, are you willing to take an honest look under the hood? Are you willing to take a look at what is really going on in your life? Are you willing to look at that thing in your life that makes you feel broken that oftentimes we just don't want to deal with? Listen, all of us at some point in our lives get to a place where we're going to experience that, where we're going to experience that that feeling of brokenness. And that's okay, but we don't want to stay broken. And the owner's manual shows us, it it shows us when something is broken, how to fix it. Right? It goes on to say this. 
All right. Well, so much for the slides. It says it makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. In other words, it helps us restore back to the way that we were supposed to be, the way that we are created. And then it says it teaches us to do what is right. See, what he's trying to say is that there was something that was put inside you. In the same way that there was a particular way that the car was made, and by reading the owner's manual of the car, you know the most efficient way to operate it, the way that will make it last the longest, the way that it will make it go the farthest. There is an owner's manual for us that does the exact same thing. It does the exact same thing. And we should want to learn about what are those things that God has put in us about the things that God has entrusted to us, about the way that he designed us and what his intended use was for it. And so here's the goal of the operator's manual. In verse 17, it says, it, uh, uh, Paul writes and he says, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So what is the it? The it is the owner's manual. So God is using the owner's manual And then he says, so that you are prepared and equipped. In other words, he's saying, listen, I want you to be ready for anything, no matter what may come. No matter what situation you face, no matter what jam you're in, I want you to be prepared and I want you to be equipped for no matter what gets put in front of me. And then he says, prepare and equip. And then he uses this phrase, his people. Now, normally, I love this translation of Scripture, but in this particular case, it loses something because that phrase, his people, is literally the man of God. He uses it to prepare and equip the man of God to do every good work. Now, is he talking about a pastor or a priest or a minister? No, that's not what he's saying. That phrase, the man of God, means anyone who is living out God's purpose in their life, male or female. If you are living out God's purpose in your life, then God uses scripture to make sure that you're prepared and equipped. And then he says to do every good work, whatever it is that God needs you to do, wherever it is that God needs you to be, whatever situation that you are confronted with. Now, the interesting thing for me is that phrase, every good work in the Greek is the word artiotic. Artios. And that word artios means integer. It means a whole number. In other words, there's no decimal after it. It's just a whole number. There's no fraction after it. It's a whole number. That word that's, that, that, the, that word that the phrase every good work comes from is actually a mathematical term when it was originally written in the Greek. And what it was meant to convey is, is that there is nothing missing from making it whole. It was meant to convey completeness. And wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it great? Wouldn't it be great, men, to feel complete? To feel whole? To feel like there's nothing missing, there's nothing broken? To feel like a complete man instead of feeling like half of one? Being ready for everything? And listen, if you're a woman, 
at some point you may have to decide whether or not there is this man that is in your life and whether or not it's worth risking everything to make the decision to share your life with him. Or if you're a mother, maybe you have the responsibility of raising one. And if you could choose the kind of man that that would be, the kind of man that you would make the decision to say, yes, I want to spend my, the, the rest of my life with you. I want to share the rest of my life with this man. Or if you're a mother and you were thinking about the kind of man that you're trying to raise your child to be, that raise your son to be, then wouldn't you choose a man who is teachable? Someone who really wants to know what is the right thing to do? Wouldn't you choose someone who's honest about who he is? A a person who recognizes his shortcomings but doesn't live there? Who doesn't walk around saying how terrible he is but also doesn't walk around arrogant and thinking that he's better than everyone else? A, a, A man who knows what he needs to work on and is willing to put in the hard work to work on it? We all experience brokenness. Men, we all make mistakes but wouldn't you want to be a man? And and ladies, wouldn't you want to have a man in your life who doesn't stop there? A man who says, listen, whatever it is that is going on, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done. A man who will take responsibility. Because responsibility, that's the difference between an adult and a child. An adult takes on responsibility. A man is supposed to take on responsibility. He's supposed to be confident. He's supposed to be secure. He's supposed to be intentional. A man should have a mission. He should know where his life is headed and what he's supposed to be doing in it. He should be trained, disciplined. Wouldn't you want to know a man who knows how to provide, how to sacrifice, how to love? How about this? Wouldn't you want to be a man that everyone who's connected to you, their life is better because they know you? Their life gets better. They experience abundance. That they can look at you and say, listen, my life is better because of you. And every woman and every child hears that and says, yes, that's what I want. I want that to be my husband. I want that to be my son. I want that to be my boyfriend. I want that to be my boss. I want that to be my professor. I want that to be the guy that's working in the office next to me. But for most of us, I think we'll, we, we listen to that and we think, man, I don't think this guy really exists. And for guys, some of you, you're sitting here and you're like me because I'm talking to me just as much as I'm talking to you. You're feeling the sweat start to beat up right here. Fortunately, I'm prepared. I get it. For some of you, it's like you're doing everything you can to look forward. Right? You're not trying not to breathe too much. You're thinking, man, this was the absolute worst week for me to come to church. And you're probably thinking, come on, man, shut up. I I mean, I'm just trying to get by. And listen, if you are feeling that pressure, then it's good. Because it means you're listening. It means you're paying attention. And I get it. Most of us aren't even close 
to being that. And I am right there with you. I feel the pressure too, especially coming from the front row over here. But that kind of man is the kind of man that there are some women and that there are many children and that there are other men in our lives that they need us to be. They need us to be that. So we have a choice. We can either say, listen, that is way too much. I can't do that. There is nobody that can do that. And so what we do is what we we have allowed culture to do, and that is to dumb down what it means to be a man. I can't live up to the expectations of being a man, so I'm going to change the definition of what it means to be a man. And we end up blaming everybody else and saying, it's not my fault. It's my mom's fault. If you saw how she raised me, you'd understand. It's my dad's fault. If you saw the size of that belt, you'd understand. We'd say it's society's fault. We'd say that it's because of the color of my skin or it's because of the country that I was born in. Or we would say that it was the way that I was raised. And men easily become passive and let other people tell us what it means to be a man. How to live our lives, how to deal with our marriages, how to parent our children. We become passive. And listen, this has been going on from the very beginning. The very first sin in Scripture was not Eve eating the apple. A lot of people think it is, and it's the great story, but it's not. The first sin in Scripture was when Adam left Eve out there on her own, unprotected. The passivity of men was the very first sin. But that's what we do. And it's easy to fall into that. We, we fall into that and we say, listen, it's not me. It's not my fault. Don't blame me. Someone else did it. So what if we stopped doing that? What if we stopped being defensive and we took the responsibility to get a hold of the important stuff and really figure it out? This is why I wanted to do this series on I guess we'll call it biblical masculinity so that we can see what God has to say about what it means to be, be a man. And the, the great thing about it is, is as we get closer to becoming the man that God wants us to be, the man who God gave us the ability to be, everybody wins. Men win. The women in their lives win. The children in their lives win. Their families win. The men around them win. And so for the next four weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. But before we go any farther, I want to set down a few ground rules. Because if this is going to work, if there's going to be change, we have to make sure we're all on the same page. So, for all of you who are connected to a man, You're married to a man, you're dating a man. If there's a man in your life that you call dad, your co-worker, your your best friend, remember this. This is a quote from Jim Bergen. He said, there's a Holy Spirit and you ain't him. So don't try to be. All right? So rule number one, no touching. What does this mean? 
None of this. Right? None of the, the, the tap on the knee when you hear something that he, you need to make sure that he heard. Leave him alone. No touching. Rule number two. No taunting. What do I mean by that? You know what taunting is. This is what you'll do. I'll say something and you'll go, Pff. right? But we're in church. So you'll go, mm-hmm. Don't do that. No touching. And the other, the final rule is no talking. Don't smile, have a cup of coffee, say everything is great, walk out into the car, and as soon as the door shuts, take out your notes and go, okay, let's review what we just heard today. This is not you. Also, not you. Number three, not you. Let's work on this. Don't do that. Listen, it is not your job. And the easiest and quickest way to guarantee that nothing is going to happen in your man's life is to break one of these rules. If God is going to do something in the life of the man that is in your life, that is between God and that man, and you need to stay out of it. Now, I know what you're thinking. Okay, then why am I here? Well, listen, ladies, I don't want you to check out. I don't want you to not pay attention because this is important. See, I'm talking to men, and I say this at great risk. (sighs) Listen, ladies, you have your part in it too, right? There's a part of that of how the man in your life is that partly has to do with you. Now, I'm not saying it's 50-50. It's probably more like 95-5, but you still got a part in it. So don't check out. Listen, we've done the most part. I I will admit that. I'll take the heat for that, but we didn't do it all. And I don't want you to settle for okay. Okay. There's a a pastor, his name is Perry Noble. I I met him in uh, South Carolina years ago, and he wrote this book. And and one of the things he says in the book is, is that it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. And okay should not be good enough. There, there are these AT&T commercials. You've probably seen them on TV where they're talking about the things that are okay, right? There's the, there's the, um, there's a tattoo artist and the guy says, uh, hey, shouldn't you draw that out first? And he says, stay in your lane, bro, right? Or, or the guy with the brakes and he says, listen, if the brakes don't stop you, something will. But my very favorite one is the doctor. The doctor comes in and he says, hey, guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. I love that. But listen to what he says at the end. He says, he looks at the couple and the guy who who's, looks like he's about to go into surgery. And he says, nervous? Yeah, me too. Don't worry. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Men, we cannot survive on figure it out, on we'll figure it out. And ladies, we cannot settle for just okay. If you're single and you're, you're looking out there, you can't settle for he's better than nothing or he's better than being alone. Because listen, for those of us who are married and I'm 26 years on the other side of married, I can tell you this. 
however he was as a boyfriend is exactly how he'll be as a husband, except on steroids. So if he was selfish as a boyfriend, he's going to be selfish as a husband. If he didn't care much about you as a boyfriend, he's not going to care about you as a, as a husband. And it's the same thing with the other way around, right? If, if she is a princess that just requires so much attention and you've got to always buy things for her, as a girlfriend, you better have four jobs when you get to be a husband, right? The same thing. So listen, here's a promise. If you hang with me over the next four weeks, if you stay with me as we talk through this whole thing, then this is what I'm going to promise to you. That if you are a man, once we get to the last week, the mission and the purpose of your life will become clear to you. You will know it without a doubt. You will know exactly why you're here, what you were created for, and how to live into the potential of who you were supposed to be, of who God created you to be. And ladies, I know what you're thinking. You can't talk, can't do anything, got to leave him alone. What am I supposed to do? Well, listen, this has never changed anybody's life. So don't do it. Give God an opportunity to work. Because listen, this doesn't change people, but people can change. Marriages can change. Families can change. Parents can change. And it's like a car, right? This whole concept of what it means to be a man, of biblical masculinity. It's like a car. Cars are great. Cars can take us from here to there. Cars can drive us along the coast and help us to see things, beautiful things that we've never seen before. Cars can help us move things from one place to another. But cars can also cause great damage. They can destroy. And cars can even kill. It's all about how we use it. It's the same thing for a man. You can take your masculinity and you can waste it. And you can abuse it. And you can destroy everyone else around you. Or you can leverage who God created you to be and what God wants for you in your life and make it better for everyone around you, everyone in your life. And the operator's manual shows us how to do that. When Jesus was uh, talking about, I'm going to move a little closer now because I think I'm safe. When Jesus was talking about, talking through one of his most famous sermons, uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you probably know it. Many of you probably know it. Some of you may have even memorized it. But at the very end of that sermon, at the very end, and this is one of the longest sermons that he ever preached, but at the very end of that, he talks about how or what happens when truth meets up with reality. And we have the text up on the screen, but I'm just going to... They're probably going to, they're going to try to put the text up on the screen, but I'm just going to paraphrase it and go through it a little quickly, right? So he's telling them all of these things that they need to do. And then he says, listen, if anybody listens to what I'm saying and puts it into practice, in other words, if anybody goes through the owner's manual and sees exactly what it is that I need to do, what it is that I, I should do, what my attitude should be, if anybody goes through that and does it, then they are a wise person. They're like somebody who builds their house on a rock. And when reality comes, truth holds. But there's some people 
who hear what I'm saying, they think it's cute, and then they don't do anything about it. And he says that when they build their house on something that is not stable, something that cannot withstand reality, that when reality comes against it, everything crashes down. Too many men have walked down a life path and it really hit them when the storm came. And maybe you're like me. That years ago it hit you because a storm came. And you didn't build your life on that solid ground. And when it came, you crashed. And here's the great thing about God. He gives you the power in his truth to stand up to the storm so that you'll hold fast. But even when we decide that we are not going to live up to that truth and we decide that we're going to live in what we call our own truth and the reality hits it and we crash, he is still there to pick us up and to give us another chance to be who he has called us to be. And to make a difference, not just in our lives, but in the lives of our families, in the lives of the people around us, in the lives of the men around us. So let's get back to the operator's manual. And let's spend these next few weeks rethinking what it means to really be a man. The only thing I'm going to ask you to do. And I know this is strange because I like to always wrap up with something for you to take with you. But listen, the only thing I need you to do for this week is to just hang with me. That's it. Hang with me. Four weeks. We're bumping right up on Easter. It's not going to make sense if you miss a week. So hang with me and I promise you, there's going to be some times that are going to be pretty rough. There's going to be times when you're going to wish that there was a men's side and a women's side. I know. But I promise you at the end of it, you're going to see God's purpose for your life. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.